So I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to verse 20, which is the end of the chapter. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, um, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And it is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right thing to do anything. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, um, the first thing I say this morning might be the most important thing I say this morning, because it may be that as Sam read that passage and uh, you were listening to it, uh, and she mentioned sexual immorality, you were sitting there under the, the weight of guilt at your own sexual immorality. Maybe it's something that nobody else knows about, uh, but you do, and you're sitting there with the guilt heavy on you. And if that's you, then please listen again to verse 11, which is speaking to people who are guilty of, among other things, sexual immorality. And to put it in everyday language, verse 11 says that for sinners, there is spiritual washing, there is changing, and there is a removing of guilt that is freely available for anyone who comes to Jesus and asks for it. Look at the start of verse 11. That is what some of you were. What you were, even what you were last night, does not need to be who you are from now on. So please don't feel like you're on your own in this. You're not. Or that you're the only one. You're not. We're not here this morning because we're perfect people. We're here because we're forgiven sinners. So if that's you, please hear this. There is no sin so deep that God's forgiveness does not go deeper still. There is no failing so bad that you can make Jesus turn his back on you. There is no mess so awful that Jesus cannot deal with it. So please come to him this morning and ask him for forgiveness and changing. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit who brings your word not just to our minds but to our hearts. And so we pray that he would be about that work this morning for each of us, whoever we are, however we're feeling, whatever lies in our past. Please speak to us, show us Jesus, change us by your spirit as we enjoy your word together this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I've started by talking about sexual immorality, by which the Bible means uh, any sexual activity, whether it's in your head or with your words or in your actions, on your own or with someone else who is not, part, who is not your spouse. And it does look, doesn't it, like that's what this passage is all about. After all, sexual immorality is spoken of by Paul in verses 9 and 13 and 18. But really the passage is first and foremost about God. You'll see the words God and the Lord far more than you see sex and morality here. And that's important this morning because we will only understand the Bible's view of sex and only see it as something that's good to obey rather than just something that we ought to obey if we start with God. Fundamentally, then, this passage is not about your sex life. It's about your spiritual life. Now, as we've been seeing in this series, the Corinthian church to whom Paul is writing this letter have got themselves into a mess. It's a a multifaceted mess that was not limited to their sex lives, but it definitely included their sex lives. And what's really interesting is that in this passage, Paul, as he has been throughout the letter, deals with their problems and their questions by talking far more about God and the gospel than he does about their actual problems and questions. And so that's what we're going to do this morning too. If you are using porn, or if you're finding yourself thinking about someone that you shouldn't be thinking about in a way you shouldn't be thinking about them, if you're being tempted by sex outside marriage, then yes, there are important practical steps that you need to take. Tell someone, be accountable, ask for prayer, don't put yourself in temptation's way. But what you most need, what we all most need, is a bigger view of God. And so here's our path through this morning. We're going to enjoy three great truths about God. And then we'll apply them to the area of sex. And then we'll finish by just holding up the story that our culture tells about sex alongside our creator's view of sex. So here we go, three big truths. And here's the first in verses 13 and 14. God made your body and he cares about your body and what you do with it. The Corinthian view, which is summed up in verse 13, went a bit like this. It's just my body. It's just a set of hungers and physical needs, and it's going to die one day anyway. So really, my body doesn't matter very much. Here's Paul's reply in the same verse, verse 13. The body, he says, is not meant for And we need to pause right there because those are hugely significant words because Paul is saying that your body is meant for something, that it has a purpose. And its purpose is at the end of that verse, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That is, you cannot understand what your body is for unless you think about it 
in terms of God. Your body is not meant for you. A blank canvas for you to use as you see fit. It's made to be used to live for and serve the God who made it. Not only does your body have that purpose, it has that purpose eternally. Verse 14, God raised Jesus from the dead physically and he'll raise us physically too because our bodies are part of God's eternal perfect plans for us. I'm going to spend eternity with this body. Now, my resurrected body is going to have different shoulders, renewed shoulders, uh, ones that actually work properly and can throw a ball and so on. My resurrected body is not going to decay or fail, but it, it will be my body. Many of us have tense relationships with our bodies, how they look or how they work or both. Whatever your view of your body is, God is very positive about it. He made it. He made it to be able to enjoy life and worship him. And though in this broken world your body does break, one day he's going to raise it to eternal, sinless, satisfying, unbreaking perfection. One day you're going to look in the mirror and not see anything that makes you feel sad or sorry or scared. So truth one, God made your body for the purpose of being enjoyed in God's company and in the way that God intended forever. Second truth, and we're skipping down to verse 20. God cares enough about you to pay the greatest possible price for you. Here are six words that give us endless value and security. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Strange though this sounds to our modern ears, the question is not whether we are owned, but who we're owned by. Naturally, we're owned by sin. Sin is our master. People think that they're choosing how to act, but actually they can't do anything but sin. And so naturally, we're owned by sin, and sin is a horrible master. It doesn't fulfil us. It doesn't forgive us. It just empties us out in life and then leaves us on our own in death. Sin's a horrible master, but we're slaves to it. And slaves can't do anything to free themselves. And so God came as the man Jesus to free us from sin by paying the price that it took to release us. And the price it took was his blood, his life. The value of an object is the price that someone is willing to pay for it. And Jesus paid everything he had, and he paid it for you. That's how valuable you are to him. And having paid that price for you, he says, now you're mine. I am gentle. I am kind. And I'm going to show you the life that you were designed to live. You're mine. And with me, you'll find fulfilment and forgiveness and eternity. 
just as a, a, a handbell, in order to be truly a handbell, needs to be picked up by someone and rung, we are most truly ourselves when we're serving Jesus, our loving and gentle master. So a Christian is someone who's been bought by the greatest master imaginable at the highest price possible. Christian, you are not your own, verse 19. Jesus gave his life to make you his. And that is how much he cares about you. Third great truth, verse 19. God has made his home in you. Verse 19, uh, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? God's spirit, God himself, lives in you. The God who made this world could have chosen anywhere in this world to dwell. He could have chosen any means in this world through which to make himself known. And he chose you. He chose us. He chose his church. And remarkably, he didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up before he moved in. He's not, he's not renting somewhere else while some serious rebuilding work is done to make us suitable residences for the king of the universe. No, he's moved in and he's doing all the work on you himself. And he knew before he moved in all about the problems, all about the weaknesses, all about the structural issues. He knew that you are not the human equivalent of a recently renovated six-bedroom house in Wimbledon Village. He knew that and he moved in anyway. Isn't that remarkable? And that means that where you go, the spirit of Jesus goes. In a very real way, what you do, he does. That is how close he is to you, how committed he is to you, how invested he is in you. So God made your body and he cares about your body. God cares enough about you to pay the highest price imaginable for you. God has made his home in you. And so, well, in verse 20, Paul starts the very last sentence of the passage with a therefore. He's saying, given these truths about God, about you, about your body, what should we therefore do? Well, it's very simple. Honour God with your bodies. The ESV translation puts it slightly better. It says, therefore, glorify God with your bodies. To glorify means to praise, to showcase, to point to. We are to use our bodies to praise and to point to the God who made us and who bought us and who lives in us and who will raise us. And the aspect of glorifying God with our bodies that Paul focuses us on here is, of course, as we said earlier, our sex lives. Honouring God requires, verse 18, fleeing from sexual immorality. It requires it because our bodies are members of Christ, verse 15. And Christ, through his spirit, is in us, verse 19. And that means that if I sit down to watch some pornography, I'm sitting down with Jesus to watch porn. If I have sex with someone who's not my wife, I'm taking Jesus into that bed. If I allow my thoughts to wander and linger on someone who I'm not married to, then I'm using the place that Jesus lives to do that. 
What an awful thing to make Jesus be a part of that. And when we think of it in these terms, then surely we're ready to echo Paul's response to the idea of sexual immorality at the very end of verse 15. Never. And so we're to flee sexual immorality. To flee is to to run from fast, to get away from far. It is not to sidle up to, spend a bit of time near to, get as close to as possible without actually being there. No, flee means run fast and far. Every time a Christian puts as much distance between themselves and some sexual immorality that they're being tempted with, they're honouring God with their body. Every time a Christian puts up as many barriers as they can between them and the sin that they know they'd love to commit, they're honouring God with their body. And one thing this meant for some of the Corinthian Christians was, verses 15 and 16, that they needed to stop having sex with prostitutes. Now, my natural response to that is, one, well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? And two, well, I'm off the hook with this one because I've never done that. But some cultural context from Corinth makes this teaching rather more challenging for me and perhaps for you. Because... The prostitutes of Corinth mainly lived and worked, not in brothels as we would think about it, but in the pagan temples of the city that everyone visited. Everyone visited these temples because that was where you did business. That was where you saw friends. That was where you caught up on the news. And therefore, the prostitutes were a normal part of city life as well. In Greco-Roman society, if you were a guy, particularly if you were a fairly wealthy guy, visiting a prostitute was totally culturally acceptable. In fact, it was expected, even promoted. It would be very odd to have a negative view of temple prostitutes in Corinth. And so the question for us in Britain in 2021 is not simply, do I sleep with prostitutes, yes or no? The question is, What is it in our culture? What is it in your office, in your friendship group, in your school, in the media, in films? What are the ways in which sexual immorality is accepted and promoted there? What are the things about which God says, guys, this isn't what I made your bodies for or saved your bodies for. What What are the things about which God is saying that but people around us or our own hearts are saying, that's fine. You deserve that. In fact, you need it to be happy and for your own well-being. You're free to enjoy it. Of course you'd do it. Those are the things about which Paul says to us, flee from sexual immorality, even while those around us are running towards it. And that's much more challenging I may not visit prostitutes, but I cannot say that I've never listened to our culture rather than our creator about how I use my body. In fact, I don't think I've ever met a guy who, when he looked at what the Bible says is sexual sin and then reflected on what he'd looked at or spoken about or smiled with others at or has done, whether it's on his own or with someone else, I've never met a guy who when he thought about that, didn't need to repent. 
And given that a third of pornography in this country is looked at by women, and given that adultery takes two, I imagine this probably isn't just a guy thing. So we may not have visited prostitutes, but nevertheless, this passage has surely got to drive a lot of us to our knees, to repentance, to a heartfelt asking for forgiveness and asking the Spirit to change us. This passage has got to drive a lot of us back to verse 11, to that great declaration that there is washing, there is sanctifying, there is justifying in Jesus, even for us. The Christian life is not lived standing tall because we're great. It's lived on our knees because we're not great. Now, the idea that your body is not actually for you to do what you want with, that your feelings are not necessarily to be followed, that sex is to be enjoyed within and only within a marriage between one man and one woman, all of that sounds bizarre at best and offensive at worst in our culture today. The younger you are, the more bizarre it's likely to sound to your friends and to you. Actually, it would have sounded no less bizarre in first century Corinth. The Christian view of sex is no more offensive and out of line with culture today than it was then. The quote at the start of verse 12 was probably kind of a slogan in Corinth. I have the right to do anything. And isn't that our culture's slogan too when it comes to sex? And in answering that claim, notice in verse 12 that Paul doesn't just reply straight away, uh, no, you don't have the right to use your body how you like. First, he essentially says, just because you can do something doesn't mean it's good to do it. I think he's getting at the truth that what God says about sex is not just right because he's God, it's good because he's a good God. The claim is that in the Bible, our creator tells us a better story about sex than the story our culture tells. So as we finish, I just briefly want to hold up the two, the culture story and our creator's story, and compare them. Our culture manages to say two completely opposite things at the same time about sex. First of all, it says that sex is nothing much. It's no big deal. It's just a bit of fun. It really doesn't matter who you decide to do it with. Just, just go with what you feel. God says sex is not nothing much. It is beautiful. It is precious. It is profound. It's a gift that he gives to be used within marriage, which is what Paul's reminding the Corinthians when he says in verse 16 that in having sex, the two will become one flesh. That quote comes from Genesis 2, and it's describing the moment when God gave both marriage and sex to humans as gifts to use together. And there's a beauty in that, because sex within marriage is enjoying an act of intimacy and vulnerability and pleasure, sex, in a place of commitment and security and trust, marriage. You can only see sex as something deeply precious and enjoy it without insecurity if you know that the person you're having sex with loves you regardless of how good you are at sex 
and will still be here for you tomorrow, no matter what. In other words, if you're married to them. And so the Bible has a very high view of sex. It's not nothing, it's a beautiful thing, it's a deep thing. As the late theologian Eugene Peterson put it, sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. And so there is no such thing as casual sex. No such thing as no strings attached sex. Just as fire is a wonderful gift that can be deeply destructive if used complacently, so sex is wonderful in its proper setting and dangerous emotionally and spiritually outside that setting. Unlike with fire, you cannot always see the damage for a while, but damage there is. So culture says that sex is nothing, and God says sex is beautiful. But then at the same time as saying that sex is nothing much, our culture around us also wants to say that sex is very much everything. So you cannot be happy without having sex. To be fulfilled, you need to be having sex. And therefore, anyone who sets limits on who you have sex with, even if it's God doing the limitation, cannot really have your good at heart. But God says that sex is not everything. It's beautiful, yes, but in the end it's only a picture of something that's far, far more beautiful. Because it's a picture of the way that Jesus loves his people. Verse 17. Paul's just been talking about the union that happens when you have sex with someone. And then he says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And he uses the same word there as he's just used to describe sex, united. But here he's talking about the intimacy of a Christian with their saviour. Jesus loves his people with the passion and intensity of a husband for his wife. But he, unlike every other husband, is perfect. There is nothing he would not do for his beloved. There is no element of selfishness in his love for his beloved. He, he never backs out, never holds back, never says, I've had enough of this, never puts himself first. The intimacy of sex within the commitment of marriage is just a picture of the relationship that we enjoy with Jesus and the love that he has for us. And that means that you can be utterly fulfilled without ever having sex if you enjoy the relationship that it's pointing towards. And it also means that you will never be fully fulfilled, however much sex you're having, if you're not enjoying the relationship that it points towards. Sex is neither nothing, nor is it everything. It is a beautiful picture of something still more beautiful, the greatest relationship you can ever know and the deepest love you can ever experience from the one who bought you at the greatest possible price. So as we draw things to a close, I wonder how you're feeling. Perhaps you're feeling fine. You've never slept with prostitutes. Let me just probe your feeling of fineness. 
Is there really no aspect of your thinking or your speaking or your acting when it comes to sex where you're not going along with what the culture says instead of what your creator says? It it may not be prostitutes, but I'm guessing it's something. Perhaps on the other hand, uh, you're feeling uh, quite worthless. You found the last 25 minutes with the talk of bodies and the talk of sex deeply painful. You're not alone. Very few of us do not have difficulties with our bodies or regrets about our sexual history or our sexual present. Please remember those three great truths about God. He made your body. He loves you enough to die for you. He's living in you. Perhaps actually you're feeling broken as you sit here, broken not by your own sexual sin, but by someone else's. And you live with the pain of heartbreak or abuse. Sister, brother, if that's you, I'm so sorry. That should not have happened. And God is grieved over it. He's angry about it. He'll bring justice for it. And he wants to help you in it. And we'd love to come alongside you. So if you feel able to, please speak to someone here today, me or one of the other elders, or if totally understandably you don't want to speak with us, then speak with Dorothy or speak with Mary, who's out in preschool. But please know that you're not alone and you are deeply loved by God. Perhaps, though, you're mainly feeling prodded hard by the Holy Spirit this morning. Because you know that when Paul says flee from sexual immorality, he is speaking very directly to you about something very specific that you've been doing. Please don't ignore the prodding. The devil would love you to forget it, to get up tomorrow and decide that what feels important right now doesn't really matter much this week. No, sexual sin matters. So what do you need to do? Do you need to have an honest and hard conversation with someone? Do you need to ask a Christian friend for advice or for prayer? Whatever it is you need to do, whatever else you need to do, please come to Jesus this morning and ask for forgiveness and come to his spirit this morning and ask him to change you. What you were does not need to be and must no longer be what you are. But whoever we are as we sit here this morning, here's one thing that we can all do. Next time you look in the mirror, or next time you're tempted to look at something or someone who you shouldn't, here's what we can all think. God made my body. God died for my body. God has made his home in my body. And therefore what I do with my body matters to him. We were bought at a price. Therefore, let's honour God with our bodies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made our bodies, that you care about our bodies, that you will one day raise our bodies to perfection with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much, that you paid a higher price than we can ever imagine in order to buy us back, in order to make us yours, in order to give us life. 
Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have chosen to make your home in people like us. That you are with us, that you are for us, that you can change us. Heavenly Father, you know what we're thinking right now. You know how we're feeling right now. You know what we need right now. If it's forgiveness, please forgive us. If it's comfort, please comfort us. If it's to change in some way, please change us. Show us what it will mean for us to honour you with our bodies, to glorify you with our bodies in how we think, what we say and what we do. We thank you that you are who you are. We thank you that we get to know you and honour you and look forward to living with you. Amen.